Section 4 of The Rover, Volume 1, Number 25. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Ginny Rosario. The Rover, Volume 1, Number 25. Edited by Seba Smith and Lawrence Labrie. Section 4. The Broken Miniature. Two young officers, belonging to the same regiment, aspired to the hand of the same young lady. We will conceal their real names under those of Albert and Horace. Two youths more noble never saw the untarnished colors of their country wave over their heads, or took more undaunted hearts into the field, or purer forms, or a more polished address into the drawing-room. Yet was there a marked difference in their characters, and each wore his virtues so becomingly, and one of them at least concealed his vices so becomingly also, that the maiden, who saw them both, was puzzled where to give the preference, and stood, as it were, between two flowers of very opposite colors, and perfumes, and yet each of equal beauty." Horace, who was the superior officer, was more commanding in his figure than, but not so beautiful in his features, as Albert. Horace was the more vivacious, but Albert spoke with more eloquence upon all subjects. If Horace made the most agreeable companion, Albert made the better friend. Horace did not claim the praise of being sentimental, nor Albert the fame of being jovial, Horace laughed the more with less wit, and Albert was the most witty with less laughter. Horace was the more nobly born, yet Albert had the better fortune, the mind that could acquire, and the circumspection that could preserve one. Whom of the two did Matilda prefer? Yes, she had a secret, an undefined preference, yet did inclinations walk so sisterly hand in hand with her duties that her spotless mind could not divide them from each other she talked the more of horace yet thought the more of albert as yet neither of the aspirants had declared himself sir oliver matilda's father soon put the matter at rest he had his private and family reasons for wishing horace to be the favoured lover but, as he by no means wished to lose to himself and to his daughter the valued friendship of a man of probity and of honor, he took a delicate method of letting Albert understand that everything he possessed, his grounds, his house, and all that belonged to them, were at his service. He accepted only his daughter. When the two soldiers called, and they were in the habit of making their visits together, Sir Oliver had always some improvements to show Albert, some dog for him to admire, or some horse for him to try, and even in wet weather there was never wanting a manuscript for him to decipher, so that he was sure to take him out of the room, or out of the house, and leave Horace alone with his daughter, uttering some disparaging remark in a jocular tone, to the effect that Horace was only fit to dance attendance upon the ladies." Albert understood all this and submitted. He did not strive to violate the rights of hospitality, to seduce the affections of the daughter and outrage the feelings of the father. He was not one of those who would enter the temple of beauty and, under the pretense of worshipping at the shrine, destroy it. A commonplace lover might have done so, but Albert had no commonplace mind. But did he not suffer? Oh, that he suffered, and suffered acutely, 
his altered looks, his heroic silence, and, at times, his forced gaiety, too plainly testified. He kept his flame in the inmost recess of his heart, like a lamp in a sepulchre, and which lighted up the ruins of his happiness alone. To his daughter, Sir Oliver spoke more explicitly. Her affections had not been engaged, and the slightest preference that she began to feel stealing into her heart for Albert had its nature changed at once. When she found that he could not approach her as a lover, she found to spring up for him in her bosom a regard as sisterly and as ardent as if the same cradle had rocked them both. She felt, and her father knew, that Albert's was a character that must be loved, if not as a husband, as a brother. The only point upon which Matilda differed with her father was as to the degree of encouragement. "'Let us, my dear father,' she would entreatingly say, "'be free at least one year. Let us, for that period, stand committed by no engagement. We are both young, myself extremely so.' A peasant maiden would lay a longer probation upon her swain. Do but ask Albert if I am not in the right. The appeal that she made to Albert, which ought to have assured her father of the purity of her sentiments, frightened him into a suspicion of a lurking affection having crept into her bosom. Affairs were at a crisis when Napoleon returned from Elba and burst like the demon of war from a thundercloud upon the plains of France and all the warlike and the valorous arose and walled her in with their veteran breasts the returned hero lifted up his red right hand and the united force of france rushed with him to battle the regiment of our rivals was ordered to belgium after many entreaties from her father matilda at length consented to sit for her miniature to an eminent artist but upon the express stipulation, when it should be given to Horace, that they should still hold themselves free. The miniature was finished, the resemblance excellent, and the exultation and rapture of Horace complete. He looked upon the possession of it, notwithstanding Matilda's stipulation, as an earnest of his happiness. He had the picture set most ostentatiously in jewels, and constantly wore it on his person. And his enemies say that he showed it with more freedom than the delicacy of his situation with respect to Matilda should have warranted. Albert made no complaint. He acknowledged the merit of his rival eagerly, the more eagerly as the rivalship was suspected. The scene must now change. The action at Quarterbras has taken place. The principal body of the British troops are at Brussels, and the news of the rapid advance of the French is brought to Wellington, and the forces are, before the break of day, moved forward. But where is Horace? The column of troops to which he belongs is on the line of march, but Albert, and not he, is at its head. The enemy are in sight. Glory's sunbright face gleams in the front, while dishonor and infamy scowl in the rear. The orders to charge are given, and the very moment that the battle is about to join, the foaming, jaded, breathless cursor of Horace strains forward as if with a last effort, and seems to have but enough strength to wheel with his rider into his station. A faint huzzah from the troops welcomed their leader. On, ye brave, on! The edges of the battle join. The scream, the shout, the groan, and the volleying thunder of artillery mingled in one deafening roar. The smoke cleared away, the charge is over. The whirlwind has passed. Horace and Albert are both down, and the blood wells away from their wounds, 
and is drunk up by the thirsty earth. But a few days after the eventful battle of Waterloo, Matilda and Sir Oliver were alone in the drawing-room. Sir Oliver had read to his daughter, who was now resting in breathless agitation, the details of the battle, and was now reading down slowly and silently the list of the dead and maimed. "'Can you, my dear girl,' said he, tremulously, "'bear to hear very bad news?' She could reply in no other way than by laying her head on her father's shoulder and sobbing out the almost inaudible word, "'Read!' Horace is mentioned as having been seen early in the action, badly wounded, and is returned missing. Horrible! exclaimed the shuddering girl, and embracing her father the more closely. And our poor friend Albert is dangerously wounded too, said the father. Matilda made no reply, but as a mass of snow slips down from its supporting, as silent, as pure, and almost as cold, fell Matilda from her father's arms insensibly upon the floor. Sir Oliver was not surprised, but much puzzled. He thought that she had felt quite enough for her lover, but too much for her friend. A few days after, a Belgian officer was introduced by a mutual friend, and was pressed to dine by Sir Oliver. As he had been present at the battle, Matilda would not permit her grief to prevent her meeting him at her father's table. Immediately, as she entered the room, the officer started and took every opportunity of gazing upon her intently when he thought himself unobserved. At last he did so, so incautiously, and in a manner so particular, that when the servants had withdrawn, Sir Oliver asked him if he had ever seen his daughter before. "'Assuredly not, but most assuredly her resemblance,' said he and he immediately produced the miniature that horace had obtained from his mistress the first impression of both father and daughter was that horace was no more and that the token had been entrusted to the hands of the officer by the dying lover but he quickly undeceived them by informing them that he was lying desperately but not dangerously wounded at a farmhouse on the continent and that in fact he had suffered a severe amputation then in the name of all that is honourable how came you by that miniature exclaimed sir oliver oh he had lost it to a notorious sharper at a gaming-house in brussels on the eve of the battle which sharper offered it to me as he said that he supposed the gentleman from whom he won it would never come to repay the large sum of money for which it was left in pledge though i had no personal knowledge of colonel horace yet as i admired the painting and saw that the jewels were worth more than he asked for them i purchased it really with the hope of returning it to its first proprietor if he should feel any value for it either as a family picture or as some pledge of affection but i have not yet had an opportunity of meeting with him what an insult thought sir oliver what an escape exclaimed matilda when the officer had finished his relation i need not say that sir oliver immediately repurchased the picture and that he had no further thoughts of marrying his daughter to a gamester talking of miniatures resumed the officer a very extraordinary occurrence has just taken place a miniature has actually saved the life of a gallant young officer of the same regiment as horace's as fine a fellow as ever bestrode a charger his name exclaimed matilda and sir oliver together is albert and is the second in command a high fellow that same albert pray sir do me the favour to relate the particulars 
said Sir Oliver, and Matilda looked grateful at her father for the request. Oh, I do not know them minutely, said he, but I believe it was simply that the picture served his bosom as a sort of breastplate and broke the force of a musket-ball, but did not, however, prevent him from receiving a very smart wound. The thing was much talked of for a day or two, and some joking took place on the subject, but when it was seen that these railleries gave him more pain than the wound, the subject was dropped, and soon seemed to have been forgotten. Shortly after, the officer took his leave. The reflections of Matilda were bitter. Her miniature had been infamously lost, while the mistress of Albert, of that Albert whom she felt might, but for family pride, ban her lover, was even in effigy, the guardian angel of a life she loved too well. Months elapsed, and Horace did not appear. Sir Oliver wrote to him an intelligent letter and bade him consider all intercourse broken off for the future. He returned a melancholy answer, in which he pleaded guilty to this charge spoke on the madness of intoxication confessed that he was hopeless and that he deserved to be so in a word his letter was so humble so desponding and so dispirited that even the insulted matilda was softened and shed tears over his blighted hopes and here we must do horace the justice to say that the miniature was merely left in the hands of the winner he being a stranger as a deposit until the next morning but which the next morning did not allow him to redeem, though it rent from him a limb, and left him as one dead upon the battlefield. Had he not gamed, his miniature would not have been lost to a sharper. The summons to march would have found him at his quarters. His harassed steed would not have failed him in the charge, and, in all probability, his limb would have been saved, and his love have been preserved. A year had now elapsed, and at length Albert was announced. He had heard that all intimacy had been broken off between Horace and Matilda, but nothing more. The story of the lost miniature was confined to the few whom it concerned, and those few wished all memory of it to be buried in oblivion. Something like a hope had returned to Albert's bosom. He was graciously received by the father, and diffidently by Matilda. She remembered the broken miniature, and supposed him to have been long and ardently attached to another. It was on a summer's evening. There was no other company. The sun was just setting in glorious splendor. After dinner, Matilda had retired only to the window to enjoy. She said that prospect that the drawing-room could not afford. She spoke truly, for Albert was not there. Her eyes were upon the declining sun, but her soul was still in the dining-room. At length Sir Oliver and Albert arose from the table and came and seated themselves near Matilda. "'Come, Albert, the story of the miniature,' said Sir Oliver. "'What? Fully, truly, and unreservedly,' said Albert, looking anxiously at Matilda. "'Of course.' "'Offence or no offence,' said Albert, with a look of arch-meaning. "'Whom could the tale possibly offend?' said Sir Oliver. "'That I am yet to learn. Listen.' As regarded Matilda, the word was wholly superfluous— she seemed to have lost every faculty but hearing. Albert, in a low yet hurried tone, commenced thus. I loved, but was not loved. I had a rival that was seductive. I saw that he was preferred by the father, and not indifferent to the daughter. My love I could not. I would not attempt to conquer, but my actions honor bade me control, and I obeyed. The friend was admitted where the lover would have been banished. 
my successful rival obtained a miniature of his mistress oh then i envied and impelled by unconquerable passion i obtained clandestinely from the artist a facsimile of that which i so much envied him it was my heart's silent companion and when at last my duty called me away from the original not often did i venture to gaze on the resemblance to prevent my secret being discovered by accident i had the precious token enclosed in a double locket of gold which opened by a secret spring known only to myself and the maker i gazed on the lovely features on the dawn of the battle day i returned it to its resting-place and my heart throbbed proudly under its pressure i was conscious that there i had a talisman and if ever i felt as heroes feel it was then it was then on on i dashed through the roaring stream of slaughter sabres flashed over and around me what cared i i had this on my heart and a brave man's sword in my hand and come the worst better i could not have died than on that noble field the shower of faded balls hissed around me what cared i i looked around to my fellow-soldiers i trusted for victory and my soul i entrusted to god and shall i own it for a few tears to my memory i trusted to the original of this my bosom companion she must have had a heart of ice had she refused them said matilda in a voice almost inaudible from emotion albert bowed low and gratefully and thus continued while i was thus borne forward into the very centre of the struggle a ball struck at my heart but the guardian angel was there and it was protected the miniature the double case even my flesh was penetrated and my blood soiled the image of that beauty for whose protection it would have joyed to flow the shattered case the broken the blood-stained miniature are now dearer to me than ever and so will remain until life shall desert me may i look upon those happy features that inspired and preserved a heart so noble said matilda in a low distinct voice that seemed unnatural to her from the excess of emotion albert dropped upon one knee before her touched the spring and placed the miniature in the trembling hand of matilda in an instant she recognized her own resemblance she was above the affectation of false modesty her eyes filled with grateful tears she kissed the encrimsoned painting and sobbed aloud albert this shall never leave my bosom oh my well my long beloved in a moment she was in the arms of the happy soldier while one hung over them with unspeakable rapture bestowing that best boon upon a daughter's love a father's heartfelt blessing end of section four